0: Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast. My name is Freddie Gray. I'm the deputy editor of The Spectator and the editor of its US edition. We thought that 2020 was going to be all about the presidential election, but now it will forever be the year of the pandemic. So instead, Americano is going to look at how COVID-19 is transforming the United States and its politics. There's a lot to talk about, perhaps even more so than before. So please keep tuning in. I'm joined today by Andy Noe, who is editor-at-large for The Post-Millennial, and we're going to be talking about the riots that have broken out in Minneapolis and now in Los Angeles. Andy, take us through what's happened with these riots. We know that they are in response, or they were triggered, perhaps, by the mass circulation of a video of a 46-year-old black man being sort of... Kneeled, his neck was being kneeled on to the point that he appears to have suffocated and died from that. And this has caused a huge backlash on social media. And now it has erupted into violence on the streets. What's going on?
1: It's not just a backlash. I would describe it as a, a national crisis for this country. So you're describing the death of Mr George Floyd, who died on the 25th of May. And part of his encounter, final moments with Minneapolis police were caught on camera in very disturbing footage, four policemen who were involved in that arrest have been sacked, and there's an ongoing investigation by federal authorities into civil rights violations. But I I want to sort of step back a little bit, because everybody's focused on Mr. Floyd. We've had sort of incident after incident this month in the United States that have really primed the american public for a backlash anger and now violent rioting i would call it race riots actually so uh, earlier this month we had the incident of uh, there was a a young man named sean reed in indianapolis who live streamed his fleeing from police in a high-speed chase encounter he was actually armed with a gun that you could see in his video and according to police he shot back and he was killed in that process. That same time frame that that happened was the release of the video of Ahmad, uh Arbery in Georgia. Now, he was killed in February, but that video came out at the beginning of this month. So both of these just really put on the minds of the American conscience, again, Black Lives Matter, which had kind of sizzled down since reaching sort of its apex in 2015 when we had very violent riots uh, across the US, as well as two instances of mass murders of law enforcement officers. So that's the background. And last night, it spilled over until riots in Minneapolis uh, in response to the death of George Floyd, where you didn't just have the looting of businesses, it was you had Antifa working together with Black Lives Matter extremists who did looting as well as the the destruction of property through arson attacks so you have a entire block in an area of minneapolis where the buildings have been razed to the ground target uh, which is a a kind of supermarket store was completely ransacked and looted auto parts store was set on fire i think the most Probably the saddest thing is one of the buildings that was targeted in an Austin attack was a affordable housing building that was under construction. There's is, is, is nothing left. And as of this morning,
0: the fumes are still ongoing. And how much do we know about... I mean, you, you've had a lot of experience with Antifa, I know, and we should talk about that too, but how much do we know that the... That, uh, how do Antifa get involved in these riots? How does the process work? Do they... They, uh, presumably they're looking for opportunities to cause trouble and incite violence. How how do they get involved in, how do they embroil themselves in these situations?
1: So American Antifa, typically how they organize is they latch themselves onto some other event and they use it as an opportunity to turn tense but peaceful protests into riots. That's what happened in Portland and other cities. So... On university campuses, for example, like at UC Berkeley, there would be left-wing protests organized, let's say against Milo or Ben Shapiro. But then there would be outside agitators who come in who take it a step further. Uh, what we saw last night was, I think, the looting. The looting would have happened if Antifa wasn't there, anyways. But what the extra element they added to it was the arson attacks and the the coordination that they had in those attacks. Like it, these aren't amateurs. I was able to detect the Antifa element because many of the people who were recorded committing some of the violent rioting last night were dressed in militant Antifa black bloc uniforms, which is not really characteristic for some of these BLM-type looters. And then I was looking at what Antifa accounts online were saying on social media. And of course, they started a jail fund for... um, any of the comrades that may be arrested now in the near future. And then I looked at the graffiti that's being sprayed uh, around uh, in Minneapolis it's a, and Los Angeles as well. So the the dog whistles to people who have anarchist, communist, extremist
0: ideology. Yeah. And what is their sort of stated purpose? I mean, Antifa is anti-fascist, I realise that, but has it evolved into something else now?
1: So Antifa is a movement of the extreme anarchist communists who want revolution. How they differ from sort of classic revolution communists is that they believe that they can create a utopia without the need for a authoritarian communist state. So uh, it's a utopian ideal, and the anarchy and violence is helps them achieve their goals in that it's destabilizing towards, towards society. It works to undermine trust in the rule of law, law enforcement. So uh, a particularly unique manifestation of Antifa in the US is how it's really merged on elements of intersectionality and Black identity slash Black nationalism, which is why they've really allied themselves with Black Lives Matter, because Black Lives Matter at its core is a it's a Marxist anti-police movement and an ideology an an opportunity to pair up with the mainstream movement that works to delegitimize uh, law enforcement institutions in the US and they've had
0: massive massive success. Do you think um these riots are at all connected to the lockdown? It feels to me like there might be a little bit of sort of public anger at the lockdown that's being vented here in these protests.
1: That's an astute observation. I think you're right. Americans now seem really glued onto the social media. And so you're having, I'm sure you're list- you as well as the listeners here, are aware of the inc- that that incident of the, the woman in New York City with the dog and how that became a national incident, when it was really a non-eventful, unpleasant encounter between two people. But... America has just been on edge because of this lockdown, but then we've also had these other incidents that I told you from this month that have sort of really centred at the forefront of the conscience race relations. So every single incident now is a spark for something larger, and we're seeing it escalate more and more and more.
0: It's boiling over now, you think?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. To the benefit of radical and fringe ideological uh, movements in the u s
0: and that because I mean we 've seen this pattern before before coronavirus we saw this pattern happen before you have a a black person is killed in what looks like or sometimes is often is a disgusting way by the police. You have a kind of outrage on social media and that then spills into violence or looting on the streets it's i mean it It seems to fit a pattern that happens again and again, but perhaps this time the riots? Do the riots seem more serious than they have been for for some years?
1: Yes. Well, America has had nearly four years of reprieve from some of the peak of the riots uh, in 2014 through 2016. I think some people are caught off guard in that they didn't think that a BLM mass riot could break out again. But if you just sort of map out the influencer networks who work to spread agitprop, is what I would call it, and false narratives. So, for example, the former police officer, Derek Sheldon, the one who is seen putting his knee on the neck of Mr. Floyd, there was this viral post going on uh, Twitter yesterday from many ver- Twitter verified people of his picture juxtaposed with a person allegedly wearing a hat that said make whites great again now the person in that hat is not the officer but a lot of people believed it to be so there are agitators on social media who have undue unchecked influence and ability to reach masses of people with disinformation misinformation with the purpose of spreading hatred of police and i would say trying to accelerate towards like a race war
0: and they seem to be getting what they want at the moment because as i understand the vigilante groups are now forming to protect businesses armed vigilante groups are forming to protect businesses which on the one hand is understandable but on the other hand may well lead to you know quite serious and escalations in violence
1: yes uh it needs to be mentioned that the rioting that happened last night did result in the death of one alleged looter According to reports on the ground, a man who was looting a pawn shop was shot dead by the store owner. And I think uh, as uh, people who are seeing the clips that are are, are coming out from last night and this morning on social media, uh, one thing that's really shocking is that you just don't see any police responding or any firefighters responding to these huge flames that have engulfed uh, an entire block in Minneapolis. What had happened earlier in the night during the rioting is when police did respond to the incident at the auto parts store that was looted and set on fire, militant rioters threw rocks and projectiles at responding firefighters. And then after that, they just let the city burn.
0: And I mean, it's happening. This is happening in an election year. And in 2016, the Trump campaign, I think, made quite a lot of political capital out of Black Lives Matter. It was certainly law and order was a big theme of his convention speech. Do you think this will become a major issue for Trump and Biden moving into November? Well, I mean, both Democrats and
1: Republicans are really, really trying to to, to chip out the, the black vote in any way they can. And the Trump campaign uh, in the past few years has really been focused on prison reform and injustice reform. And so it it seems it would be a shift in his message now if he was to go more towards a, a staunch law and order type of leader. The people that he's had around him, the messaging that they had in the campaign has really been about it actually is similar to what the Democrats say, wanting less punitive sentencing, fewer charges, uh, etcetera.
0: Well, and then let's move on to, to your story, because quite a lot of our British listeners may not have heard about what happened to you in Antifa. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened to you last year and, and maybe, you know, how, it's, how how your life has changed?
1: Yes, on the 29th of June 2019, I was documenting on uh, my GoPro and my mobile phone a protest in downtown Portland, that was uh, organized by socialist groups as well as uh, Antifa groups. And they have been critical of my work for more than a year at that point. I've been published in a number of places, such as Spectator USA, I've written for Wall Street Journal, and my my columns and essays have highlighted the violent extremism that is allowed to become routine in Portland. and. Because of that, because they don't like my work, what had happened is I was targeted in a a beating that was partially caught on camera. It became a big uh, viral scene because uh, there were some journalists who captured part of that beating, and I was sent to the hospital with a very severe brain injury, traumatic brain injury, of which I'm still having treatment for. So uh, I've come face to face with uh, radical left wing violent extremists. And it it seems like in America in the past five years, there's really kind of been this resurgence of uh, left-wing extremism that's been ignored and downplayed by the the mainstream media because of incidents like Charlottesville and the alt-right. All the oxygen out of the room has been focused on far-right extremism while neglecting America's long history, going back to the 60s and 70s, of left-wing terrorists,
0: well, and I mean, there are moves, are there not, to designate anti a terrorist group? I think there's a there's a resolution in Congress at the moment. Do you know about that?
1: Yes. Yeah, so uh, these moves are, they're it's sort of political ground standing. The, the US, unlike the UK, doesn't have the ability to proscribe organizations based on ideology because of how robust and strong our first amendment is which is why you're you're able to see there are all these extreme groups like the kkk and various and violent neo-nazi groups who are not outlawed in the u.s you know it's the it's the activities they do and plan that are outlawed but not actual organizing existing so You know that's one of the the struggles and weaknesses of having a of living in a a liberal democracy that really protects free speech is that it also protects extremist speech, and so those moves uh, are just sort of political gestures, in my opinion. It really would not have the ability to have any type of enforcement. Could they uh, not? I mean,
0: I'm not suggesting this is a good idea, but could they not? If they were to be, you know, described as a as a domestic terrorist group or a terrorist group similar to al-Qaeda, say, could they not be investigated using emergency powers?
1: So if it's declared as a terrorist group, I think if the Trump administration were to do that, it would be immediate, immediately politicised and delegitimized by the left. You saw them actually defending anti after my beating many people tried to find ways to describe, justify their actions because, you know, this movement describes itself as anti-fascist. But I do support sort of a formal government declaration, even if it has no legal teeth to it, just because I think it would be helpful for journalists to be able, to, whenever they reference an anti fascist movement, to also include a US-designated violent extremist ideology or something similar to how the Southern Poverty Law Center has been used to describe right-wing extremist groups by journalists. they always cite the SPLC whereas there's really no sort of counter to be able to cite some type of organization or government entity uh, for left-wing extremist groups.
0: And language is really the issue here in a way isn't it because I mean you hear you see it a lot in the media you know I've seen it today that these obvious rioters are being called protesters and there is a sort of there's a sort of acceptance that this is in a way that this is a sort of understandable reaction to police violence you know sort of unfortunate but understandable reaction to police violence and you hear a lot of people in the media talk like that and it's like large sections of the commentariat are effectively endorsing political violence.
1: Absolutely they You know, the the victory of Antifa is not that they will achieve any type of revolution. I think it's that they've been able to really capture really powerful cultural institutions such as the media in that when you have acts of such wicked criminality, I mean, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic right now. Millions of people have lost their jobs. This is a really devastating time for Americans to see Businesses and properties and future homes destroyed for no reason, really. Out of these people said they're thinking that they're doing it out of the sense of justice, but you know they they get a certain amount of legitimacy and protection from the media, who go out of the way to always try to describe it as peaceful, peaceful, peaceful. They did that in 2014, 2015, when many of these BLM protests, the people were chanting for calling for police to be killed. You know, I think my concern is not just with the one-off of the riots that may last for a few days. My concern is that there's been a really obvious chipping away in the trust of uh, legal institutions in the U.S., the rule of law. I mean, people, one thing that was fascinating about last night was seeing a mob literally a lynch mob show up at the uh, former police officer's home. They they organized because they wanted to, some of them wanted to kill him, but there were dozens and dozens of police standing guard around the property. And if they weren't there, that man would have been killed or his home would have been set on fire. And, you know, to see this in 2020 in a major American city, like it, there are various troubling currents in American society that are need to be addressed.
0: It is one of them that that it does it does it because of the rhetoric around Trump, because I mean, if you believe, as a lot of people in the media will happily say that Trump is a Nazi or a white supremacist, and if you genuinely believe that the President of the United States is a white supremacist, then acting violently against that authority or what you perceive to be authority is not necessarily an unreasonable act.
1: That's right. The the most dangerous people in history are those who think that what they are do, doing is is for good. So in the whole anti and BLM ideology they feel that they they believe truly that they are fighting back against fascism and white supremacy and therefore any act no matter how extreme or violent is justified. So, you know, you look at some of these videos such as people attacking a, a woman in a in a wheelchair they're justifying that because she was trying to stop some of the looting and they're viewing her as upholding the status quo of white supremacy so This is a part of a worldview and ideology Mm. that's been marinating in academe in the US and also Britain for decades. And now it it has the ability to manifest in the real world through political organizations and politicians. You know, the, the, the daughter of Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, who is a representative from Minneapolis, her daughter retweeted out a list of what quote-unquote comrades what supplies they need in their writing you know they need sticks uh wood plywood like and she's celebrated for that
0: it's a sort of fashionable pose isn't it i mean i'm not saying it's less dangerous for that but it's a sort of it's a way of sort of sounding edgy and 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 cool on social media isn't it
1: yeah because you don't face any social political costs if you are supporting left-wing extremism in my opinion I mean, you can look at academics who have expressed support for killing certain people and they face no censure, right? We have this imbalance of left-wing extremism being celebrated, supported, tolerated. It's
0: quite a bleak outlook,
1: isn't it? Yeah, I'm not quite optimistic. I think currently I'm working on a on my first book. It's about it's, uh And, you know, just watching these events play out through this election year, it's You know, seeing the footage last night of Minneapolis being set on fire, I had a certain amount of uh, shame for being a a US citizen, seeing so many fellow citizens take glee in destroying the livelihoods of others and being celebrated online for it. We have, uh, America has a sickness and it's ill doesn't seem like it's uh, been healing at all.
0: Well on that uh, sad but worryingly true note I think we'll end it but Andy thank you very much I hope we can speak again um, on a happier day. My pleasure thank
1: you so much for having me on.
0: Thank you very much for listening I hope you enjoyed that episode of Americano and I'd like to encourage you all to give us your feedback positive comments or constructive comments only please to podcast at spectator.co.uk and say anything you like there as long as it's reasonably polite.